You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz with you. We are just a few minutes away from sharing a lengthy discussion with a former All-American here at Penn State. Uh, you'll get a chance uh, in just a moment to hear from Brandon Short. Had a successful football career, has gone on to much success in the business world. He's a member of the Penn State Board of Trustees, who just last Friday voted on plans uh, to renovate the Lash football building. Uh, that passed with a 27-6 to vote. Of course, there has been conversation coming away from that. Uh, Jay Paterno uh, putting out why he voted against the plan, and then LeVar Arrington attracting a, a lot of attention to start this week when he expressed his feelings about Jay Paterno's vote. So that did come up a bit during this call, but you really get a chance to hear from Brandon Short, who provides a lot of in-depth perspective on why he feels it's imperative for Penn State to invest in the football program and then uh, basically enjoy the results of that success across the university. You'll hear from that. Uh, Sean, I know you were excited to, to have uh, Brandon on the show, uh, but I know you were also excited to uh, to get going with the coaching report because you were all over this hire. Um, Anthony Poindexter, the addition for Penn State replacing Tim Banks on the defensive staff and um, I guess pick where you want to start. Brandon Short, Anthony Poindexter, I threw a lot of your way. Well, we've got a lot from Brandon Short coming up, so I'll, I'll stay short uh, on him. That was a great uh, great sit down with him. Apparently, we, we learned that he's a listener of the podcast, so you folks are an elite company. Uh, yeah, one of the one of, one of my favorites from from growing up and watching, and we kind of covered that on the podcast or on the interview. Um, but yeah, we'll get into Anthony Poindexter, you know, kind of, uh, I, I wouldn't say all over, I would say kind of out of nowhere. Um, this is a guy that, uh, you know, I've, I've known Dex uh, or known of Dex for a long time. I uh, haven't run across him in the last few years, but uh, this is a guy that's uh, got a lot going for him uh, from defensively recruiting, just a, you know, a guy that kind of checks all those boxes and in hindsight makes sense to why James Franklin would go after him. Um, you know, he's, he's coaching this, uh, coaching the safeties at Purdue, co-defensive coordinator, more of a title or anything but, uh, than, than anything. He wasn't really calling the play out there, but a guy that you can bring in sort of looking to fill those roles that we said were so key when we were talking about this last week on the show, uh, especially recruiting. And this is a, a spot where you lose uh, Tyler Bowen, who's a really good recruiter, especially in a very important area for you um, in the DMV. You lose Tim Banks, who was also involved in the DMV. You kind of shuffle around. You kind of try and figure out what's uh, you know what's your next best step there. Um, and you go and you get an established recruiter like Poindexter. Poindexter is a, a program legend at Virginia, uh, All-American safety, uh, had some things go wrong, had a bad knee injury back when bad knee injuries pretty much could wreck your career. Unfortunately, it did. He only played a short time in the NFL. Turned around, started coaching at Virginia, uh, was there as a running backs coach, moved to the defensive side of the ball, eventually um, rose and was hired as a defensive coordinator at UConn before he went to Purdue. UConn, by the way, was a viable job when he was still there. Uh, it's turned into just an absolute dumpster fire in the last couple of years. But then he went to Purdue. Um, he's, he's been uh, solid there. I think the biggest thing here is the recruiting aspect of it, and and that's 
I uh, can't emphasize enough how tough it is to get an established person in that area. Um, he's been big in, you know, the DC area with those private schools, uh, central northern Virginia, some into Maryland as well. And that's just such, it's been such an important part for Penn State over these last, uh, however many years that, that, you know, we've been covering, uh, you and I have been recovering recruiting. It's just always you look to the DMV as this spot where you can go and, and, and sort of, you know, build a decent percentage of your class. So I think that's going to be very important. He's very well respected down there. This is a guy that, you know, kind of thrives on relationships, thrives on connections with people. And that's really what, you know, when you talk to everybody about Anthony Poindexter, that's that those are the things that really jump out to you. And you were, you know, you got out the microphone uh, at the megaphone, I should say, last episode. And we're saying you got to address the DMV if you can with this hire and, and what a splash to do that. Um, I mean, can we talk about the resume as a football player? I mean, we, we've seen a lot of great football players fizzle out as coaches. He has established himself as as a as a college football coach at this point. A few different stops. Now moving on to Penn State, but what he did as a player, an All American, uh, a Hall of Famer in the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, I mean, we're talking about just the pedigree that that you carry into Virginia, and you carry it really in any school. It just helps. It doesn't make the diff- it doesn't make the ultimate difference, but it always is interesting when you have that kind of a track record in your own playing career. I think we've discussed that with Taylor Stubblefield, uh, the all-time leader in Big Ten catches and All-American during his career. Phil Troutwine, a two-time team captain, a two-time national champion with the Florida Gators, and you know, no, no disrespect to the guys that have been on this staff in the past, but I look at some of these recent hires with James Franklin and the athletic profile of his coaching staff is going up a few notches. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be an inner squad scrimmage at some point, and these coaches are going to have uh, some advantages. Uh, but now, I mean, it, it, it's it's from that aspect. I think it's always good to have a guy that you know played the position. It's not a necessity, and that's something that people get. Uh, caught up with is you, you never had to actually play the position because not everybody was quarterback, not everybody was a running back, et cetera. Um, so it, I think it, it, it's nice to have. It's not, it's not, you know, certainly not the, the, the be all end all when you're picking out a guy, but he's been back there. He's seen that played at an extremely high level as, as coached some really good ones at safety and, and recruited some really good ones just out of that area. I, I hate to keep going back to the same sort of thing. Um, but you look at Virginia's recruiting. Um, it was noticeable when he was there and when he was not there. Um, you look back to the early part of last decade and, and Virginia was on fire. I mean, you, you landed Quinn Blanding and, and Poindexter and Chip West, who, you know, we've mentioned in the past is a really good recruiter in the 757 sort of got up with that and 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 you look for the little things here like Quinn Blanding uh five-star safety uh, all ACC I think he may have been all uh ACC all decade ACC as well went to Virginia wanted to wear Poindexter's number which was retired Poindexter gave him the go-ahead just little things like that shows you know kind of what you expect from from him as a player's coach and that's really Andrew Brown is a big name at a, you know that that class right five-star defensive lineman back in that same vicinity that they were able to add when he was on the Virginia staff Yes. Yeah. Andrew Brown was there. They've had big time guys coming through. Darius Jennings, who I think Penn State fans are familiar with. Micah Kaiser, I think, is still in the NFL. Those two guys out of Gilman, which if you go to um, connect the dots here, the guys that were Gilman now, Biff Pogi, or Biff Pogi is now at St. Francis Academy, which is a school that Penn State really hasn't had a ton of success with. Not anything that's, uh, you know, wearing on them or there's no hard feelings there. Just Penn State hasn't been able to get in there and, and be productive. They've 
got guys like uh, Jay Sean Barham, uh, Derek Moore, a bunch of guys that are in the 2020, a phenomenal 2022 class at St. Francis. So maybe this is your opening to get in there. I mean, as we mentioned, the relationships have always been there. Recruiting at Purdue, recruiting with the, you know, Purdue Pete on your, um, on your polo shirts, a little bit different than the, the Nittany Lion logo. So I'm interested to see what kind of, um, clout that he has in spots like that. He's recruited good counsel. He's recruited DeMatha, Gonzaga, St. John's, uh, you know, he recruited some of the publics in there. Brandon Phelps was a guy out of Damascus in Northern Virginia, or excuse me, in, 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 uh, sorry, Southern Maryland, um, that, you know, was a guy that Penn State wanted. He eventually flipped, uh, Zach Bradshaw, who was a, a commitment back in 2012 when all the shit hit the fan with the, with the, uh, the sanctions and everything like that. So this guy was going head to head with some big time schools, including Penn State and winning his share of battles, uh, at least back in the day. So you're going from Tyler Bowen, some Tim Banks mixed in as well. Uh, to looking at Poindexter, uh, with, with Ty Howell involved there. I mean, do you think, um, I mean, what do you think is like square one? Uh, is it Poindexter just circling back and saying, Hey, you guys know me. I'm wearing a different logo on the polo shirt now. I'm wearing a different logo on the hat, but you guys know me. Let's establish relationships. Is he going to knock on different doors or is he going to double down on the guys that they have been targeting? And let's start with like the 2022 class, the McDonough of the world, uh, some of these guys that we've already become familiar with. Yeah, McDonough will be interesting. It's kind of on the outer reaches of that whole area um, up in, the, in Baltimore. Baltimore and D.C. are, you know, not far from each other, but also – kind of light years away sometimes when you're talking about recruiting. So Bowen was really, really strong in there, played with the head coach um, at Maryland. So that's going to be something that takes some time. I'm sure Poindexter has been in there. It's not somewhere that he's had a ton of, um, you know, he hasn't signed a bunch of guys from there or anything like that. But Penn State, I think, given the reputation that they have with the McDonough guys, especially, you know, Mustafer and Ellie's and, and Curtis Jacobs on the roster, I think Penn State is not going away anytime soon. So you got to figure out how you can sort of balance that. I don't know that you just send Poindexter in right away because, you know, you're moving guys like Jaywan Sider, who has steadily moved up, uh, you know, 95 from, from sort of Southern Virginia into, uh, you know, into the suburbs. And, and I think you can move him into, uh, into that area. Ty Howell, as you mentioned, has been doing some, some DC public school or excuse me, DC private schools and some other schools in Maryland. So I think it's going to be a group effort, really. Ty Howell it isn't going to bring the recruiting class out right away. I mean, he, I know he's he's done a nice job with uh, cultivating relationships, especially through Zoom and doing what he can, uh, you know, in an, in an analyst role before moving to the full time role. But that's going to take some time for him to get there. Jay Sider can walk in anywhere, and and people will be smiling. So I think it's kind of a team effort right there. Um, when you throw Dex into the mix, it, it, it looks good. I mean, I, I don't know that you're going to see immediate results or anything like that, especially since he's been out at Purdue since I think 2017. Um, so maybe not the freshest face for the kids that are in the 2022, 2023 classes, but I think they'll start to get to know him. And the read I get uh, from some of what you wrote, from, from what I've read and some videos I've seen as well, this guy and, and, and Dex carries a, you know, there, there's a certain energy to, to his delivery, right? I mean, some coaches are a little bit more subdued. They get the job done on the recruiting trail. Some guys are a little bit more vocal, more out there. That seems to be that energy uh, that, that he's going to be bringing to the staff. 
Yeah, I think so. And that's, I think that's something you always lean back on. And the amount of people that, that reached out to me after this hire just to, to tell me what a, a great guy he was and a great, you know, how much players love him and things like that. I think that's going to be something that we talk about. And, and, you know, we talk, we, we tend to label over label coaches like we did with Taylor Stubblefield saying he's a technician. You know, maybe the recruiting will come later. I, I think we're probably going to overlabel Dex as a, as a recruiter and we'll see what happens with, with his development. But like I said, he's developed some, some pretty good safety. So, you know, at Virginia, at UConn, um, Purdue has kind of been all over the place with its defense and, you know, that's a product of, uh, of some system stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see where it goes. I think I, you know, I, I don't want to choose one side here, but you feel better about this as a recruiting hire and you'll see what happens with the, uh, technical side of things. And, and that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, you're not going to, you know, find guys that are, you know, five tool players all the time. And that's, uh, especially with position coaches, because usually when they're a five tool player, they end up as a coordinator, they end up as a head coach, and it go, it seems to go pretty fast. We talked a lot about that safeties room last week when Tim Banks left and kind of discussing what is in that room and for 2021. And, and now you add a new head, a new position coach there, a new head of the room. Um, you know, he's got to find a, another starter. You got to keep. Uh, you got to hope uh, Jaquan Brisker continues the trajectory that you saw late last season. But you also have the other decisions, Sean, which are from a personnel standpoint. You know, is he going to eye up some of those cornerbacks? Is he going to get intel? I mean, he's going to get intel. But speaking with Terry Smith, speaking, speaking with Brent Pry, speaking with James Franklin, how are they assessing potential transition candidates from that cornerback room? Does he bring in some connections in the transfer portal at safety that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been in place at Penn State? Those are some of the other kind of ramifications, I think, whenever the coaching move was made. And by the way, this has not been announced by Penn State yet, but but confirmed. Um, you know, I think that those are some of the first things you check off that list, right? Oh, I, I think so. I mean, you've got to bring in a new guy. He's going to have his input. He's going to, you know, sort of bounce things off the other staff members. The portal is going to be always moving. And that's something that, you know, you can certainly take a look at after the spring. He's going to come in here and get a look at guys like Tyler Rudolph, guys like Enzo Jennings, even John Sutherland, who's a veteran, and see where they fit into the, the, the mix in terms of whether you know, are you a potential starter, potential too deep guy, or just maybe not in the plans at all? I mean, it's unfortunately the reality of, of the situation. He'll get some new guys in, um, in the, in the summer with Jalen Reed and Zaki Wheatley. So, I mean, it, it's going to be a process. It's not something that, you know, it's going to all going to click into place at one time, but, uh, you know, he's, he's seen a lot. Uh, he's, he's well thought of one, I think was one of the higher compensated coaches, de- defensive back coaches in the Big Ten. Um, so, you know, you, you, you talk to people you you look around and you think okay this guy this guy definitely checks a lot of boxes makes sense for what you're trying to do it seems like a strong response to to seeing tim banks the guy who's been on your staff for five years heading to tennessee doing this a week later um on paper it looks like a strong fit for a lot of the things they needed to 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 do with this staff move and and as we've discussed a lot with the recruiting aspect uh, by the way, we're going to get Ty Howell, the new tight ends coach for Penn State, former uh, Nittany Lion himself, uh, on a call in about two hours uh, from when we're recording right now. So that'll be a subject of conversation on the next episode. Uh, last Friday, we actually talked a lot about the tight end position, but uh, it'll be our first chance to get him in a formal Q&A session since he uh, took over that spot for Tyler Bowen. And I'd imagine that we won't have to wait too long uh, to hear from Anthony Poindexter about taking over as Penn State safeties coach. But there is a little bit of a acclimation period before we get these guys uh, in a press conference setting. Sean, uh, speaking of Q&A, we had a great opportunity to, to sit down with Brandon Short, 
Hey, one more thing here yeah. before we get into it. One one thing I didn't really cover here is staff fit when you're talking about different personalities. Um, I, I think they've been lacking some energy since Sean Spencer left. Spencer was always at the forefront of everything, uh, just a fiery guy that was always out there. I he think rode he, his motorcycle into the tent at the Lash Bash event, he, just he to remind everybody. We, we miss Spencer around here. Um, but it, it's, I think it's kind of a replacement from that angle as well. You just keep talking to these people and you say, okay, this guy is also fiery. In fact, you know, one of his uh, former players compared him to Sean Spencer because they've been around both. And I think that that's been something that, you know, you, you've missed and you take a look down and down just up and down that roster, that coaching roster. Nobody really jumps out at you is that, that face of, or, or that voice, you know, when you, when you're going along, walking along the practice field and you just hear one voice ahead of others, it was usually Sean Spencer. And I think that's something that, that, you know, maybe they could, that, that would be welcomed in here because you look across and, and nobody really jumps out that way. So I wanted to get that point in. Um, and I think that's, that's something that when I've talked to former players, guys that have coached with him, guys that have been around him, the, the, the fiery energy sort of, uh, is something that keeps coming up when you come, when, when you talk about decks. And on top of that, it's, it's a way to relate to his, it's a way that he relates to his players and a lot of his former players. And, and, you know, you're never going to find a, a coach where every former player has the best things to say about him, but an overwhelming majority of his former players absolutely love the guy. Well, we're about a month away now at this point, maybe a little bit less. Uh, haven't seen the formal date or anything from these spring practices getting underway. So this is one of those later hires. We're, we're actually beyond the territory last year where John Scott Jr. was added to the staff, and that was that was a late hire, uh, all things considered. So uh, not a lot of time between now and when we hope Penn State football players and coaches hit the field. There'll be a lot of bringing up to speed, but this is a guy who brings in quite the pedigree as a player and, and as a professional in the coaching ranks now with Anthony Poindexter. Um, ready for that transition now to Brandon Short? Yeah, we can do that. All right, let's do it. So we had Brandon Short on from London, uh, which is where he is right now. That's home base for him at the moment. Um, and we went over a lot of stuff in this upcoming interview, plenty on the vote that he cast uh, to to uh, push forward with Penn State. Uh, going investment, uh, putting in the investment uh, for the Lash football building. And he said it's not enough. And he explains why it feels like more needs to be done in investing financially with this football program, with the facilities. Not only is was he an All-American football player, but he was a, a head-of-the-class kind of recruit coming out of high school. So he's going to talk about the vantage point of when you're checking out all these options, how much that can play a difference in seeing a program invest that way when you make that decision and pick your college at the end of the day. Talks about Micah Parsons, who became an All-American linebacker during his time in Happy Valley. A few other things, some thoughts on what the 2020 season was and, and what he's taking from it, and also what he thinks about the Nittany Lions' fortunes in 2021 under James Franklin. All that coming your way. And I also want to say, uh, hopefully you see this audio is coming through a bit sharper today. Since I made my move to my new house last month, we've had some audio issues on my end. Thanks to the folks at CBS and 24-7 Sports. We believe we have remedied that, but didn't quite do that in time for the Brandon Short interview. So there's a little bit of an echo there. I apologize for that in advance, but we should be on the right track now uh, with our audio. But enough about my microphone. Let's get to Brandon Short. He sat down with Sean and I internationally the other morning. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Last Friday, the Penn State Board of Trustees recommended the approval of an expansion plan for the Lash football building budgeted at about $48 million. Um, It is a lot to wrap our heads around from people who just normally discuss football and don't get into the finances all that much. So we're going to get some help doing that. Brandon Short, you may know him as an All-American football player at Penn State. Far more than that for the Penn State community. He was part of those voting on this proposal. So he welcomes Sean and I here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, all the way from across the pond, coming to us from the United Kingdom. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. And by the way, uh, Brandon Short, a Lions 24-7 podcast listener. So uh, well, that's a feather in our cap. We'll consider, that, we'll consider that a job well done. Yeah, that's no doubt about it, man. That, thank you for having me. And like listening to the, the 24-7 podcast is one of the only ways I can really stay, you know, connected to everything that's happening, um, you know, and, and Penn State football. You know, I'm a Penn State football fan, of course, but my wife has been fully converted. So we like when she listens to the podcast, you know, when the the she's cooking or doing something with the kids and like it's a little bit like being on this podcast seeing you like I'm just used to hearing your voice so often it's good to finally see your face <laughs> that's it that's an interesting response with our faces because we typically apologize for that but yeah. it, it's great well, to have well, you I got on. a face for radio too <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you on obviously we, we followed your career I I was fun, it was funny I was talking to Tyler last week when you reached out and I said okay so here's the deal with this I, I I don't really wear Penn State clothing anymore but when I was in eighth grade you were at the top of your uh your game at Penn State and it's the first Penn State jersey I ever bought was the 43 so uh it's kind of cool to sit here and, and talk to you because it's uh it's been a long time coming Good gracious, Sean. I don't know whether to be happy or cry where you were in eighth grade. I mean, don't don't throw any dirt on me yet. Good gracious. No, yeah. no honestly, I sit here and talk to talk to 17-year-old kids. So I mean, I, I get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and I'm just happy to sit here with both of you because I'm impressed by each of you and what you do. So, Brandon, we'll yeah. we'll focus on on your role here. Can you kind of lay it out what your role is now within the Penn State community and obviously with this decision that was uh made on Friday? Yeah, um, well, I am a, a, a member um, of the Penn State Board of Trustees, and I'm uh, an alumni um, elected member. And, you know, since I've been on the board, you know, I've, I'm a member of the Finance Committee, the Audit and Risk Committee, and um, the chairman of uh, President Barron's Racism Task Force. And uh, at the top, like, before we get into the details about the spending, just about the role uh, and how I feel about it, um, beyond being a father and being a husband, serving on Penn State's board is the most rewarding thing I do. It feels so good to be able to give back to the university that has done so much um, for me, you know, like literally, you know, saved my life. And, you know, with, you know, this spending bill um, or, or passing the spending, you know, I knew, you know, that it would be a bit controversial, you know, even as I'm up, you know, for re-election, the numbers are large and, you know, Penn Staters aren't used to seeing these type of numbers. So I thought it was important to provide some perspective on, you know, why uh, we made the decision we did, why, in my opinion, we need to do much more and and how this investment affects um, the entire 
university and surrounding community. Yeah, your your vote wasn't just a yes. It was a yes, and we need to do more. And I know you, you've been connected to the program. Uh, you know, you've been a, a big fan of what James Franklin has done at the program. Uh, but you seem to be on board of what he's been pushing for the for the last several years. Is you know, Penn State is is at a level, and where they want to be is that you know, it, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the, certainly the gold standard in college football is where they want to be. But there, there's something to be said for the investment at those schools versus the investment at Penn State. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it, college football is an extremely competitive landscape. And, you know, our competitors are investing in their infrastructure. You know, in the past year, over the past year, we've had seven schools invest from 75 to 155 million from you know, Alabama, Illinois, Michigan, Florida, Utah, South Carolina are all making these mass investments. And, you know, one of the, 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 our, main competitor, you know, Ohio State is, is an example that, that I like to use. You know, that, you know, when I came to Penn State, you know, we played in the, the late 90s, you know, we would look at the schedule and see Ohio State and say, oh, that's a good team. But, you know, we just pencil in W, you know, when we saw that team. But, you know, that has evolved over time. And that is primarily, you know, due to spending. Most people that don't see the finances don't understand sort of the 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 wide disparities in how universities spend. Um, you know, so over the past seven years, you know, Ohio State has outspent Penn State by eighty-four million dollars. Ohio State football has outspent Penn State football by eighty-four million dollars. And to to give you a little bit of perspective on what that means is that if Ohio State gets four more recruits per year than Penn State. If they beat us on four people per year over five years, that's 20 players. That's a whole offense and a whole defense. And that's the difference between being in the playoffs and all the economic benefit to the local community, to the school, and to the to the university as a whole. And you know, our local economy being in tatters because we haven't been to a bowl game in three years or cutting sports because we can't afford to fund those sports. So it, it, it is of the utmost importance that, you know, we, you know, make these type of investments and, and, and look to sort of you know, change our mindset. Brandon, when, when people see that price tag, and we're going to get into some of the details on that, they think, wow, we're in a pandemic. Uh, a lot of people are tightening their belts. How does this make sense strategically, economically at this point for Penn State, for the university, for the athletic department? Can you talk us through why, despite the fact that we're here in February 2021, the timing is still matches up with the need? Yeah, it's a great question. And I guess to, to start from the top, like our athletic department's finances are independent of the, the broader university. and the, the athletic department actually contributes $4 million per year back to the university. So any investments that we do under our current model, you know, the way that we're, we're structured, it, it has no negative effect on the university as a whole. And, that, and this investment um, is no different. Um, last year, so we, this project was supposed to move forward last year, and it was delayed due to COVID. There is an extremely low cost of borrowing out there that because we're in the market went to the, the government lowers interest rates to to enhance investments, which is why you see the stock market going through the roof 
because they're, they're, they, people don't want to invest in debt. They're invested in equity and the, the stock market's going crazy. And so we took out debt um, last year to, to pay for, to, to fund this facility. Um, but, but we had to delay the, the funding to, to, due to COVID. Um, the vote came up again this year uh, that we decided to move forward with this because the, cost, the interest payment on the debt is 2.4 million a year interest in principle, but the cost to delay the, the, the project is actually 4 million. So by moving forward with this project right now, we've actually saved our athletic department $1.6 million. And we have a state-of-the-art facility a year earlier. But independent of the, the financial markets and that, that debt decision, this is a good investment. And it's a good investment because it benefits the entire university. Um, the, the football program is... Uh, the only true profitable um, sport in athletics, and it basically supports all of athletics. So that's 850 athletes uh, getting scholarships, having experience, lifting the entire um, university um, experience. There, there's no other place that we can make an investment that we can get the same type of return on investment than in a football program. Like it increases the number of applications to schools. So we can increase our academic standards because people are applying and we can raise the standards uh, to, to increase. We can recruit faculty and staff that it has a massive effect on giving to, to, to all across the university. And it has a, a, a transformational effect on our local economy, real estate values, bars and restaurants, hotels, and even shows like the one we're talking, we're, we're on right now. So that, that it has such an exponential effect that I do, 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 I can't think of another place where we can put it, where we can have this type of return. Yeah. We get, we get so caught up on the actual revenue, you know, games bring in so much ticket sales, et cetera, but the residual effects are far greater than that. And this is something that you sort of alluded to. You look at some of these other schools, Alabama, for instance, uh, you know, they're seeing just a boom in everywhere, including academics, which we don't think of Alabama as an academic school, but that has improved over the last 10 years. I believe their chancellor said back in 2013, the best investment they ever made was hiring Nick Saban. You can't quantify that sort of thing. So you're seeing that at Penn State at a, at a, at a, in a, I guess in a system where this is your cash cow. And, and I think people are so hesitant to say something like, okay, it's all about football. Well, from a, a finance perspective, it is all about football. Well, look, I guess it's it's not all about football. It is football is supporting our core mission to to educate and provide a great experience for people to come to Penn State. So I don't, it's certainly not all about football, but football is a big part of that. And we need to continue to invest um, you know, in our football facilities if we want to uh, remain competitive. You know, the the. A portion of our fan base um, has an old school mentality, you know, part of which, you know, I share, but we need to evolve. You know, I love Joe Paterno and for everything that he's done for me and everything he's done for the university. I believe the university should honor him, but we cannot make decisions based upon what we did 30 years ago, that financial markets 
are different. You know, the, the competitive landscape around college football is so much different. The, there's social media. So we need to make the best decisions for us today. And that that is investing in, in, in athletics so that we can be competitive and, and the university can continue to flourish. Brandon, you mentioned being a top of the line recruit and and getting the different sales pitches, seeing different facilities. I, I'm going to ask you to tap into that a little bit because hopefully yeah. the NCAA is going to allow these visits again. Right now, the kids can't be on campus in team facilities. That's going to change eventually, hopefully soon. Um, what does what does an upgrade and renovation like this, the investment, mean not just for the building you're staying inside, but representing the investment overall the university is making into the program itself? Yeah. I guess when when I was recruited to Penn State, um, I was the number one linebacker recruit in the country. Um, I was recruited by Bobby Bowell and Lou Holtz and, and even a young Nick Saban. And, you know, Tom Bradley, Scrap Bradley, he was the coach that recruited me. And like Tom did such a great job of selling the entire university, everything that the university had to offer. And he convinced me to come to Penn State. And, you know, I came to Penn State because of the education, because of the tradition. But a big reason that I came was was, was the facilities. You know, when, when I was recruited at Penn State, Aluba Hall was, only, was one of the only t- indoor facilities in the country. All these other schools that were recruiting me, they didn't have Aluba Hall. Nittany Apartments were the top living facilities that I had seen, which the, for the record, Nittany Hall hasn't been upgraded since I played. Um, that our academic support center was the top academic support center I had seen. And by the time that I left, we had the Lash Building, which made us bar none the number one re- facilities in the country. And if it were not for those investments, I wouldn't be talking to you or be on Penn State's board because I would not have come to Penn State. That's what got me over the hump to come here. So that, that's it's the reason why I feel like it's so critical for people to understand how all this ties together and how it has an exponential benefit. Because if 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 it wasn't for Luba Hall, if it wasn't for Nittany Apartments, I wouldn't be here. So I'm looking at the numbers here. 1999 Lash opens, state of the art facility, no question about it. Just uh, you know, it's top of the list with all these other great facilities, and that's really you know kind of the dawn, or even before the dawn of the facilities arms race, et cetera, et cetera. But you go on that period from from 99 to to 2012, and I remember sitting in Bill O'Brien's office, and he's looking around and saying, "This place is so far behind the times." And then, of course, James Franklin gets there, and coming out of the SEC is a little bit different in 2014. So basically, you're looking at 99 to 2014, not much done at all. It's it that was such a pivotal time for these programs that we're talking about: Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. And you know, it, you you fall behind from an investment standpoint when you're Penn State. This is what you're trying to get back to. You're not trying to pass Ohio State. You're not trying to pass. I mean, you you obviously are trying to pass them. But from a facility standpoint, you're not going to catch up to them. You're just sort of bridging the gap and trying to keep up. So I, when people see this $48 million, I mean, I don't want to call it a drop in the bucket because it's anything but a drop in the bucket. But look at what these other schools have done. I mean, you break down Ohio State's numbers, $12 million a year more I mean, just invested into its own program. Yeah, uh, and and forty eight million dollars is a lot of money in any any capacity. I want I know that people are struggling, and that we're 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 going through financial times, financially difficult times. But the university can safely 
invest much, much more than what we're we're doing. We're holding back on what like we need to do in order to be competitive with the with you know the Ohio states and to reach our full potential. And a lot of it is because we need to shift our mentality. Do we need to try with it? We have a concept that you see a number and you're, they're not used to seeing those things, but, but we have to change for the betterment of not the football program, but for the university as a whole, for state college, for the recruit faculty, staff, students, for fundraising, all of it will suffer if we do not continue. You guys mentioned that that gap for that time frame. We are far behind other schools and the things that they have. And you know, James and his staff, you know, and Bill O'Brien before him were outperforming others with 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 where you know we need to close that gap. So we just need to give people the tools they need to be successful. Do you think that's an issue when you try and bridge this gap from old school to new school? You say. You hear fans, you know, from the old regime say, "Okay, Joe could win with this. Why can't James Franklin win with this? Why, you know, it, it was such a minimalistic approach at that time." You know. Yeah, I, I, look, times are much different, and you know that Joe was the—he's the greatest football coach of all time, bar none. And you know if. The great, but from 1999, we had one year where we went to to the Orange Bowl, and we lost one game to Mission 2005. But our team was nowhere near as successful as it could have been. We weren't competing for national titles during that time frame. And if the greatest football coach of all time can't compete for a national title with doing less, with with having less investment, how can you expect a mere mortal to do so? Any any person. So that that that's the the point that I make. We weren't we we haven't been a perennial number one team in since the late nineties. And we need to if we want to be that, but we want to reach our full potential, we're going to have to make that investment. Brandon, you mentioned near the top of the conversation that you felt like the question wasn't should this plan be approved. It's why isn't it more of a push to to do more with the opportunity. What do you think is maybe missing from the package right now? What are some aspects that you'd like to see addressed uh, with finances here moving forward that maybe aren't getting done immediately? I mean, there, there are a lot of things, and, and I'm, I'm a board member, so there's a, there's a lot of things that I can't you know get into to great detail about. But you know, just building out the the infrastructure, not just the facilities, but you know, the support staff, and like Nick Saban, you know, they are able you know to hire almost any coach that they want. They have the, their offensive line coach is the former head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Their offensive coordinator is the, is our former head coach and the former general manager of the Houston Texans. They hire um, assistants to come in to have people close, the coaches close to their people. Like we need to start doing much more of that. We have like we have great facilities. There's no question. I'm not saying Penn State is a great place, but if we want to compete and do and and take that next step, which we're very close to, we uh, we we need to invest more. Um, the the vote was 27 to six on Friday. Um, I think locally, a lot of people saw that pass. Um, a lot of people were happy about it. A lot of people maybe had had something to say about it in the negative light. Nationally, where it was picked up from what I noticed was more about what Jay Paterno wrote 
in, in his no vote. Now, I know that you're on the board. I know that certain things got to stay behind a closed room. We heard from LeVar Arrington on this subject a bit uh, candidly uh, this week, giving you an opportunity to kind of address that, because I think a lot of people, if they read something about this at a national level or they were kind of on the peripheral, it may have been the comments that Jay Paterno typed up and published on Friday. Yeah, I, I guess that, you know, I, I, I just you know, disagree, you know, that the decision to invest in this particular project is basic math, that it costs 1.6 million, that we save 1.6 million by, by by making this investment now, then, then, then um, making it later. But, you know, uh, uh, on a broader level, uh, we just, we just need um, to invest much more, you know, that, you know, all the trustees who voted knew this math, and it was very simple math. And, and it and that's why 30 like 27 people voted for this. So I can't say what people's motives were or where you know they're coming from or why they would say no to this particular um, vote. All I do know is that it makes sense from a strategic perspective, from a financial financial perspective, and it benefits the whole university, aligns with our core mission to provide a better educational experience for everyone. And we need we must do much more. Are you are you good with uh, talking about some on field football stuff? You ready to, to cross that bridge a little bit here? And a few minutes of that. Let's of, get uh, it. All right, let's do it. All right, for, let's you, get you, it. That's you, what I'm waiting for. We've got an all American linebacker on the show right now, so I naturally want to ask you about the most recent all American linebacker we covered in the Nittany Lions uniform. Uh, you went out there. You supported Micah Parsons when he announced his graduation. Um, can you kind of tell us what you saw and, and maybe your interaction with Micah during his time on campus? Yeah, like Micah, first of all, is is a, a great kid. I mean, like, he came to Penn State and did and, you know, worked his tail off. He came from a, a, a tough background, just like myself, which is why, like, I have a, 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 an affinity to, to for Micah. And, and he came here and seeing him evolve, turning in from the 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 young person that he was into the young man he is today. It just just lifts lifts my heart. I mean, he's been a leader on the field, a leader off the field. Um, you know, he's you know, graduated with over a 3.0 GPA and, th- and in three years. And it's now going to be one of the top picks a- in the NFL draft. And I, I can't think of a you know, better you know, representative of success with honor than, than, than Micah Parsons. Sean and I both spent about three, four years covering his recruitment process. And it felt like yeah. his college career was here and gone after that. But he accomplished a lot in a short period of time with those two seasons. It's a limited sample size compared to a lot of linebackers that have come through at Penn State. Where does he put himself in that LBU legacy? Because I know that was something that was very important to him to to put his name alongside those like yours. I mean, he he's right up there at, at the top. But because of his limited time at the university, he may not have the statistics, but neither did a lot of us, you know, back in those days as we, we played a half. And, and that, that his athletic ability is bar none. The only person that I can say is, is, is close or maybe even a little bit better because I saw him is LeVar. And they both and they both wore they both wore that number 11. So his, his athletic, his speed, his instincts. You know, the, the way that sort of he, he can, you know, anticipate a play and then, you know, use, you know, his speed to do something extraordinary that people 
aren't able to do. You know, that's what you know I saw on tape, and that's what clearly sort of NFL scouts are seeing on tape. You and made uh, sorry, Sean. Uh, I wanted to ask one more about Micah um, because you made that leap from All American at the college level to playing in the NFL. Got to a Super Bowl, experienced that. Micah's now being mentioned by all the quote-unquote gurus of the draft as maybe the top defensive player off the board. And Penn State has not produced a first-round pick on defense since 2010. So I guess what kind of a splash do you think he could make in the league? Because you know that that it's it's another rung up that ladder, if not a few rungs up that ladder. I think he can make a tremendous splash. There's the it is extremely challenging, sort of making that that jump from the NFL. I mean, from from college to the NFL. But one thing, you know, coming to Penn State, and in, in, when I played, and clearly now coming to Penn State under Coach Franklin, that they prepare you for the NFL. You know, the the strength and conditioning that that we have here at Penn State. You you see that like for the past few years, Penn State has basically won the combine. Now. We've had Saquon Barkley, uh, we've had KJ Hamler, we've had these amazing talents, which have to do with like James's recruiting. But the strength and conditioning program here at Penn State clearly is a cut above, you know, most other universities. And, and that that really you know, prepares you. And then just playing big time football and being, you know, have every week having it be, you know, extremely competitive, you know, gives is, is going to give him, you know, an, an advantage. And you know, the the leap is difficult, but people make the leap, have to make the leap all the time. And when you when you get there, it's a little faster, and it slows down, slows down, and then soon it's for for Micah. Soon it'll be slow motion. And with all the hats that you wear, you know, um, Letterman, uh, football fan, board of trustees members, what do you make of the 2020 season? And and what do you take away from just this whole last eight months of? Uh, you know what, I guess I would say um, that yeah. Penn State went through. And, and what do you what do you take away from that? Well, my biggest takeaway is that I'm so proud of the the, the the coaching staff and players for, you know, navigating COVID as well as they did. You know, we didn't miss a game. And that that has a lot to do with the way the team managed COVID. Being, being separated, making sure everybody had masks on, not having a, a team meeting until, you know, after um, the the Maryland game. So those, those things really put attacks on, you know, team chemistry, um, you know, building, like making, you know, building relationships when you had like a new offensive coordinator come in in the middle of the pandemic. So all those things make it extremely challenging. The, the fact that we did, like so well on COVID was the way that we managed it, managed the season. But a lot of those SEC teams, you know, didn't manage COVID as well. They caught it and some of them, I don't know how they, they, they managed to get through it, but they all got, they got COVID um, and they kept that team chemistry, but we prioritized our players' health and our players' well-being, you know, over, you know, some, you know, competitive advantage on the field. And that's what I respect and admire most about this season. You mentioned something in passing, and this is probably completely off off base, and I'm not even sure you can talk about it as a trustee, but you mentioned hiring Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator. It's not been historically easy to get things done um, for, for Penn State from a financial perspective, getting it through the board. What was it like for that just to pass that through and to take care of all that? And you know, how, how have you seen that change over your time? Well, I guess so. The, the the board, like just the, just the, it, like it has to be over a ten million dollar spend for it to come to us. 
but they they do notify us when things happen. So they 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 do give courtesies when there there are are going to be um, you know big changes being made, and, and so being able to hire Mike Yersitz you know so quickly is a part of you know our evolution and our growth you know as a program, and not 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 changing the core principles of who we are with success with honor, prioritizing education, being good people in community service, but understanding that we have to adapt and that we're not going to have, you know, Tom Bradley, you know, at Penn State for 30 years, you know, or Fran Ganter staying in their positions because those like when coaches are so good, they're they're their people are going to offer them 10 million a year to leave, 8 million a year to leave. So they're going to go. So we got to be you be uh, adapt and you know that that you know our leader, you know, Coach Franklin and trust in whoever is that head coach to make, you know, the right decisions bring the right people in and keep the, the, that, that same Penn State culture going forward. Brandon, I want to leave you with one question. You mentioned the leadership and, and James Franklin and what he has been asked to do through the pandemic. And of course, before that, um, year number eight now, um, I know for some people are a little bit surprised it's been that long. Where do you assess the program's path during that time? And, and what, what do you think about what awaits in 2021 it sounds like there's optimism for 15 spring practices. I think that's a big step forward. They know what they're to expect a little bit from a testing standpoint. What do you think is, is at this team's fingertips, I guess, moving ahead here toward the next year? Yeah, I mean, just like, like coming out of coming out of the, the scandal. But first of all, Bill O'Brien did a great, good job of stabilizing the program. Like, and my hat's off to Bill um, I don't wish him luck at Alabama because I want to see him in the playoffs and beat and beat them. <laughs> so the, the Bill stabilized the program, but but what, what James has done is sort of build off of what what, what Coach O'Brien has done and, and set the program up on being on the cusp of being that, like he mentioned, that elite program. You know, we were number two in the country. You know, we were number four in the country. Every, like for the past few years, we like when that playoff like ticker comes out, Penn State's name is right there. And we are just on, on the edge. And with the things that we're talking about with these investments are what we're looking to do to try to support the the, the program to get them over to get them over the top. Now uh, in, in terms of what you know we see you know, the coming in the coming year, I mean I'm I'm really excited about Yursich and to see you know what he can do. You know, you know, he was, you know, phenomenal in, in Texas and he's been phenomenal wherever he's been. I want to see what he's going to be able to do, you know, with the talent. You know, I, I, I'm excited about the, the, the defense. You know, Brandon Smith is is going to be an All-American. You know, Jesse Lucetta. I want to see we got Jaquan Brisker back. The, our secondary is going to be one of the strongest secondaries in, in college football. You know that they're they're deep, they're strong. The defensive line. We went out and you know we went in a transfer portal and we picked up a few guys that's going to go that'll give us more depth there. So I'm really really excited. And and Sean Clifford, Sean Clifford can can step forward, can take you know hopefully take that next step forward with a new offensive coordinator. Brandon, we're going to let you get out of here now, but a very important year for you. Obviously, uh, always a very important year for the Board of Trustees. You are up for re-election. I was curious, uh, you know, what's your, what's your pitch to the Penn State listeners on this podcast and how important is it to, to vote and to vote, you know, you sort of hear your voice as an alumni? 
Yeah. Um, well, but again, I mentioned at the top of this, um, the podcast, the, for me, being a member of Penn State's board is the most rewarding thing that I do other um, than being a father and a husband. And it means so much to be able to give back to the university that has done so much to me for me. And sort of my number one priority is affordability. You know, that the, the cost to attend Penn State, you know, has has skyrocketed. And, you know, affordability is something that, you know, like I wake up, you know, every day um, thinking about. And, you know, also, you know, a, a big priority you know, for me is, is sort of uniting the Penn State community. You know, that, that we, we are, you know, coming out of, you know, the past 10 years, you know, of sort of out of a, a dark time, but there's still, you know, some fractures between, um, you know, uh, the, the past and, you know, people who you know, are upset about the way that some things happen. And, you know, today in the future, and I would, you know, love to be able to be that conduit to help, you know, lead, you know, our university, um, into the future. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for the time joining us uh, across continents here. I don't think we've done that before. And I certainly really appreciate your insight on so much that we just covered. Uh, and let's do it again. Uh, you're, you're always a welcome guest. It sounds like you're a consistent listener. And, and thank your wife for that as well. But consider this an open door policy on the show. Got it. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. And, and I'll be tuning in. All right. Take care, Brandon. Thank you very much. Be well. Again, huge thanks to Brandon Short. I don't think this will be his uh, final appearance, but it was his first appearance here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Speaking of making an appearance, the number 43 jersey worked its way out of Sean Fitz's closet. Sean, I know you are an impartial journalist. You do not wear Penn State apparel. I guess you were able to wipe the dust off that one. And it was so funny seeing Brandon's reaction. This was after we stopped recording. Sean was not wearing it the entire interview. He pulls it out and says, look what I found. And Brandon's like jaw dropped, and I think he was a little offended by you reminding him that he's been away from campus for a bit. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a jersey. I mean, that's what ninety eight or something when I probably got that. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a long time ago. I made him feel a little bit older than uh, he probably felt coming into the interview, but that's okay. Uh, I mean, this thing has been uh, I'm sitting here looking at it, still sitting on the bed here. Uh, it's it's been through a lot. It's uh, I got it. Yeah, I, I can remember I got a gift card from Dick Sporting Goods and, and went and got that. And I was one of my first year. I never was really a Jersey guy uh, growing up and, you know, until I hit my mid 20s. And now I've got a closet that's got half. It's half filled with jerseys. And that's where I pulled this out of. Um, but now it's it's cool. I was always a big brand short fan. And, and I, I've explained to him afterward that, you know, I was also a big Scottie Pippen fan when everybody else liked Jordan. So I like Brandon Short when everybody else liked Arrington. And that's kind of the 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 you know, the, the comparison here. Also, speaking of which, his, his, uh, slight take, his form tackle of Jay was a little bit different than LeVar's splash, uh, splash play the other day on the podcast. So if you were looking for the, the LeVar takedown, uh, uh, of Jay Paterno, uh, that didn't happen from Brandon Shore. I think he's a little bit, uh, you know, it's a smart move for a board member not to go after another board member. So sorry if you were looking for fireworks there, but it just, it, it's not, not the time nor the place. Maybe you didn't get the fireworks, but we got a lot of facts from the situation, and that was the most helpful to me, and I hope it was for the listeners as well. And by the way, if you're wondering what the heck we're talking about with the LeVar Arrington, I don't think many of you out there are wondering, but we have that up on the site at lines247.com, kind of a summary of, of that exchange, uh, LeVar Arrington's response to Jay Paterno's uh, vote and, and the reasoning behind that vote as well. 
Um, so thank you again to Brandon. Thank you to you, Sean. Uh, we've got Ty Howell coming up here in, in about an hour and a half. You'll get a chance to to watch full video coverage of that Q&A. We, we're fingers crossed for, for a good exchange with Ty Howell and his debut. Um, and then we'll have full content up on the site. We'll address some of that later here in the week on our episode. And I want to get this out there because right now, 50% off an annual subscription to Lions247.com comes with a an all access or a CBS all access subscription as well. So that's thousands of shows and movies. We have a great partnership with CBS uh and and this is just a great perk. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you have anything to add there, but I mean that's a it's a pretty legit thing to tack on to an already really good deal for 50% off the Penn State insider information that we serve up and also the 24/7 sports recruiting network that you get. Now here's a bunch of shows and movies to stream when no one else, no one has anywhere to go except sit home and stream movies and shows. Exactly. And, and if you're like us and you work from home, another big thing, uh, Champions League is on there now, uh, Europa League. So great background entertainment or, you know, if big soccer fans love it too. So check that out. I know, I know they're moving to the Paramount network. So it's sort of a rebranding, but plus, Paramount plus if you plus, watch my, Super Bowl, you, yes. you saw a few of those. Yes. Uh, my, my apologies there. Um, but no, it's, uh, it, it's a great, great package. I, I know a lot of people have been very happy with, uh, with the way that that has played out, especially for us, because it's a, it's a great perk to add to our subscription. Of course, we think our stuff, uh, at Lions 24 seven is, is worth your time as well. So, um, check out both of those and, and always, uh, you know, always good to, to have the deal running. Many thanks to those of you who have already hopped on board as longtime VIP subscribers, as longtime listeners here of the podcast. For those who are considering it, there's an opportunity to dive in and get a little bit of bonus access along the way. Stay with us here on Lines 24-7. we got plenty of coverage coming your way as the week continues. And, of course, episode number two this week coming your way on Apple Podcasts. No mailbag today, as you may have noticed. We'll get to one later in the week, maybe a couple questions. So there's time to get your question up with a five-star rating and review up on Apple Podcasts. We'll do our best to get to everybody's questions in the upcoming episodes. For now, on behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler. We're stepping aside.